Welcome to episode number 42 of The Thermal. I'm your host, Harry Tenkate. In this episode of The Thermal, a feature interview with gliding rock star Gordon Betker. Gordon will tell us firsthand how he broke the world distance record for gliding along with his co-pilot, Bruce Campbell. We'll find out about the equipment, tactics, and how a combination of skill, luck, and mother nature made this 3,000-kilometer flight happen. That's all on episode number 42 of The Thermal. I'm going to launch at midnight tonight and plan for a 2,500-kilometer-plus flight. NVG time, baby. That was Gordon Betker's message to the world as he was preparing his Arcus M for a world-record distance flight of over 3,000 kilometers on June 19th. The majority of the flight would be over the Sierra Nevada mountain range, and a good portion of that flight would be at night. Along with his co-pilot, Bruce Campbell, the pair would spend over 17 hours flying wave conditions to complete this epic flight. Before you start listening to this interview, hit pause, go to WeGlide or the OLC and get this flight up on your computer. You can see the trace and photos to get some visuals of this remarkable accomplishment. What a better way to get the story firsthand than chatting with the man at the controls. I've reached Gordon Betker at his home in Minden, Nevada. Gordon, congratulations on such an incredible flight. Thank you, Harry. How are you doing today? We're, we're doing really well um, up here in Invermere. I'm now in my closet trying to do a, another interview while my partner's out flying the uh, ASH-31 around. <laughs> okay, great. So Nothing beats hanging out in the closet, right? Yeah, well, you know, if I can't fly, <laughs> what the hell, right? So, That's right. But, um, but no, we're here to talk to you about your, your flight. <clears throat> I can't imagine you did this uh, on the spur of the moment. Talk to me a little bit about the planning that went into making this uh, incredible flight. Um, well, I mean, regarding spur of the moment, moment it, uh, I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, I had, had not really expected to flight nearly that distance. And, um, you know, I, I guess in a way it was kind of a spur of the moment. I saw the wave, um, was forecast. I looked, uh, you know, I'd looked at sky site and, um, you know, it was more of a an idea of practicing with the night vision goggles, which I'd, I'd recently done, and and uh, transitioning from a day to a uh, or from a night to a day mode. Mm-hmm. So it was more of a um, well, you know, let's see what we can do, and at least get eight hours of flying in. Or you know, it was it was kind of that that mindset at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, even before we launched, it was. I mean, I mean, it was so unplanned to the point where I, I didn't. I actually called Oakland Center up. While, while we were pulling the Arcus out at two in the morning to, uh, to launch it. And I asked them if they could give me an IFR clearance. So that's kind of how unplanned it was. So right. yeah, it was kind of a spur of the moment thing. And um, that's usually kind of how I roll. I don't, uh, it seems like the more I plan things out, the the, the more things tend to fall apart. Um, so I'm, I'm, that's kind of, I guess how I operate, but if, I mean, for record purposes, you obviously have to plan things and, and put things and declarations and all that thing, uh, right. things like that into the system. So, um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was totally unexpected for sure. But, but the glider was fully prepped. You know, you've got your extra layer, I think of plexi inside or something to stop from frosting up. I mean, you've got lights on the aircraft. You are from that point of view, ready to yeah, go. exactly and that's obviously the hardest part of anything is getting you know something you know piece of equipment um set up for that and that that's just takes a, quite an undertaking and luckily that was not 
not something that I did. I, I acquired the sailplane like that from Dennis Tito, okay. um, who had the, the, the glider equipped in, in an absolute perfect uh, fashion for these type of flights. And I kind of knew that before I, that was kind of my dream ship. And it was, uh, you know, I never, never expected to get one of these in my hands until I, until I did. And then, and then you did um, your dream so, flight. Dream flight. Pretty. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, even thermal flights have had some just really, I mean, several bunch of flights over a thousand kilometers and thermals. And so it's been a really good glider to me. Um, before this, I was flying a duo discus before that, a, a, uh, uh, an old Kestrel 17. And actually, you know, that was probably one of my highlight flights is doing 2,200 kilometers in, a, in an old Kestrel 17. So, nice. um, but, um, yeah, duo discus. And then this, this opportunity came along a little over a year ago. Um, I realized uh, I better jump on this before um, it, it goes away because if it gets sold, then there's no way to to, uh, to have the opportunity to get, get something like this again because there's several unique things about this glider that um, they're not really available um, to the, the kind of the general public, one of which is the um, the high V&E, um, high, indica- high indicated V&E uh, or high indicated airspeeds that you can fly it up at high altitude with mm-hmm. this uh, machine. Uh, it's got this self-launch uh, jet that obviously fully retracts. Um, it's got an auto flap system and it's uh, it's equipped for, uh, you know, it's got the night uh, position strobes on and, and also um, it's got the NVG capability. Mm-hmm. So the instruments are, co- are specially coded for uh, to... Uh, comply with the NVG um, and automatic flaps. Well, that takes some of the workload out. <laughs> it does. And this was, this was, uh, obviously a concept I, I didn't develop it. Um, uh, Dennis Tito wanted something, you know, and it t- totally makes sense, especially for these long flights to have your hand up on a flap handle for 17 hours and swinging the flaps back and forth. You know, it's pretty fatiguing and it, it's so, just something else that your brain has to engage. Yeah. Uh, with and it kind of takes a little bit of the focus off the flying, you know, that uh, that can be uh, done away with, you know, if you have the auto flap system. So Morgan Sandercock of uh, um, he's with the Proland Group. He's the one that designed the the, the auto flaps. They're they're actually they're they're fascinating. You know, huh. they really work re- really really well. So maybe right. we'll see those in the future. So well, let's let's get into the actual flight. I think. Okay. It, middle of the night or you probably didn't even go to sleep you're getting there at two in the morning out to the airfield pulling the glider up to talk me through uh what's going on so that the day before i i don't know i got up at 7 a.m and you know the plan was to launch it you know uh, you know we didn't really have a, a plan so bruce partner uh bruce campbell that who's uh my you know he owns half share of the arcus yeah i called him and asked if he was interested in going going long and he said, yes. So, you know, it was one of those, Hey, what, what time do we meet at the airport? And, you know, I just threw out 10 PM out there because I had some family obligations, uh, the night before, which was Sunday evening. So that was father's day. So my dad was in town visiting with his wife. And so I was kind of obligated to spend some time with them since they were only here for a week. And, uh, so we did, we went out to dinner and then we met, uh, Bruce and I met at the airport at 10 PM. It's actually still a lot, a lot to do to the glider. We had to put gas in it and tape up the wings, and and uh, um, we had some fueling issues so that kind of delayed things. And by the time we were ready, um, it was two a.m. So we pulled the glider out, and the winds were blowing pretty hard. Um, 
And what, before I forget, I'd like to, I'd definitely love to plug SkySight, which is uh, run by Matthew Scudder. Um, I mean, he's Matthew. one of the sponsors of the podcast. We get him on uh, on the show quite oh. often. And uh, okay. yeah, Matthew so, knows what he's doing. Matthew's awesome. So, you know, one, one thing that most people are aware of, you know, that use SkySight, the models only run on SkySight. You can only pull up the models from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. So I contacted Scudder and I said, hey, can you, uh, can you possibly run the models for the entire evening? And uh, he made it happen like right away. And he said, when, when do you plan on going? I said, I, I don't know, like 1 a.m. or something like that. And the forecast was for the wave to work pretty well um, over the southern end of the course uh, throughout the night and throughout most of the day. And then up in the Minden area north, it was supposed to um, kind of shut down from 2 p.m. on. So my my intent was to fly from you know, right around midnight-ish or one, two in the morning till, you know, roughly noon or something um, on on the 19th. So that obviously got extended to way beyond that since, you know, I, I made things work out with the wave. But, um, yeah, so we, we pulled the glider out. It, uh, we towed it out there. There was no support. And it was just the two of us. And, you know, it obviously takes a lot of, a lot of work and effort to get all the stuff put in the glider and um, all the equipment because it's dark and, yeah, the winds were blowing pretty good, so we took off. Uh, it, it was I think exactly right at two thirty two thirty a.m. Um, I did. I like I said, I had called a, a supervisor at Oakland Center, and he said he would talk to the uh, controllers on the floor to make sure they were aware of me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, showing up on their screen here in the next half hour or so, which which actually worked out pretty well, and they were able to coordinate an IFR clearance. So we took off, uh, no runway lights, pitch black runway with the night vision goggles. Right. So you're um, actually, I was going to ask about this. So you're actually taking off with the night vision goggles on. Yeah. Because, um, is it necessary? No, but if, if you lose the, you know, if you end up losing the motor, um, you know, somewhere near the end of the runway, near the upwind numbers and you can't return to the runway. Um, and it's, and it's really dark out there too. Right. Um, so you're, it, Making a 180 return to return after an engine failure, you know, with no NVGs would be pretty dangerous. And then, and then the risk well, of it's dangerous as it land, is. <laughs> period. Yeah, yeah, and the risk of you know a straight ahead landing because you're too low to do a 180, um, you put yourself in a really bad, bad situation, um, and you know, pretty likely a you know possibly a lethal situation. Right. situation. So, um, the NVGs allow you to really see. Um, Pretty much everything. I could see wow. a, I mean, I could easily pick out, uh, you know, a pasture and, and all the details of that field that I'm landing in, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. a, you know, a, a strip or a, you know. A, a, and you're, you're obviously sitting in the front cockpit. You know, this time I actually sat in the back. Because, oh, really? Um, um, I'm about six foot five. And with the NVGs, you're adding about three or four inches of height. Right. And, um, yeah. And, and the cockpit gets a lot narrower. And I figure since we're going to be probably doing a longer duration flight, um, uh, I, I opted to, to do it from the back seat. Now, there are some difficulties from the back seat. It's obviously roomier, but looking forward with the NVGs is really difficult because, uh, you know, Bruce is wearing a helmet up front. And it was really, I can't really see around his helmet. So I'm looking kind of off to the side a little mm-hmm. bit. And, and, um, you know, he was wearing the NVGs too. That was his first time he'd, he'd ever had NVGs on his head. But, um, so that, that, you know, there are some, 
pros and cons about it, but overall, once you're airborne, it's better in the back seat for uh, just for this for the room, you know, that I um, that I needed. So yeah, I did take off from the back seat. Um, 2:30 a.m. launch, dark runway, and uh, motor right up into uh, where the sky where SkySight showed the wave was. Um, and I think I motored to rough, roughly 3,000 or 3,500 AGL, shut the motor off and then stowed it and then climbed up and got to about, I think around around 12 or 14,000 feet. I called center and got my clearance, my block altitude, uh, 18 to 24, mm-hmm. <clears throat> 18 to flight level 240 is a, the block they cleared me out. I typically I'll fly in, like on these flights, I'll typically during the day I'll, I will fly, I'll, I'll head out a little at a lower altitude, but being, you know, at night with the NVGs, first time really going cross country with them. Um, I wanted to be a little higher <clears throat> give me a little buffer because as soon as you head south from in and you're kind of putting yourself into no man's land, um, and it's really, really dark. So, um, I climbed up, I think right at 23 or, right. you know, 23,000 or something. Are you south. flying an, on American U S, uh, night VFR rules or what, what, what rules are you flying under? Well, I'm flying. Yeah. So my LOA is my letter of agreement is basically I'm flying VFR and on an IFR flight plan. You know. Okay. So, um, so they they do they do have to put a routing into the system, and uh, so my routing, uh, you know, initially was just to go down into the destination was uh, actually the two five zero eight complex, which is military airspace. Joshua Approach owns that airspace down in the Owens Valley. So my termination point of that IFR clearance was the 2508 complex. And once I get, once I get into that complex, then they switch me over to Joshua approach and they, they, that's a whole separate clearance or a letter of agreement that, that I have with them. And that, that allows me a, um, a Sage two clearance what they call it. And then it's basically you're flying VFR in military airspace up to flight level 290 is what your, huh. um, clearance is. So it's, it's pretty nifty once you're in their airspace because you can go from you know, the, the ground basically up to 290 and not have to talk to anyone. You're, you're, and, and these you're guys, on. I've talked to other pilots who've done similar, well, not this kind of flight, but the, the cooperation from ATC is actually really good. These guys start to cheer for you and check where you're going, how you're doing, right? You know, they really did. And, uh, you know, they, they kind of know my background because I've had this LOA for a while and, and they know it's kind of for record purposes. I think that the whole cheerleading process with ATC started occurring more and more as the flight went on because I did, you know, one of the guys did query me. He goes, you know, what time did you guys, you know, this is like at 10 in the morning, you know, and he goes, what time did you guys take off? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said, well, 2.30 in the morning. and like, whoa. You know, I said, well, we had night vision goggles and, you know, that's impressive. And so then you get, the, I think the whole control room's kind of like, whoa, that's, these guys are up there without an engine, you know, they're yeah. flying around without an engine and, uh, you know, on the flight levels with NVGs. And so they, they kind of, I think they really go out of their way to help you out. You know, and this day they, they did for sure, because I made them aware towards the end that this was possibly the longest flight ever in a glider, um, in history. And, and I think, um, once they got that in their heads, they said, all right, let's, let's, let's really work with this guy, kind of Very give him cool. what he wants, which was really helpful. And this whole thing's a team effort. You know, I couldn't have done it below 18,000 feet. Yeah. There's no way, and, you know, sky Sight and Matthew Scudder. I mean, everything's just been really good. And that's what I like about it. So, so you're, you're, you're a couple of hours into the flight, you're in wave, things are tracking along quite well. Did you have any concerns at this point or was everything ticking along the way it was supposed to? 
You know, everything was actually um, working and operating, and I've, um, you know, fatigue was obviously a, a huge thing on on both our minds because we, we neither one of us had slept, so you kind of wonder what's going to happen here, you know. Right. So you uh, hadn't you'd woken up. You you launched at two thirty in the morning, but the last time you you slept was actually the day before, right? Yeah, I got okay. up at seven seven o'clock in the morning the day before, so I'm, I'm almost going on like twenty four hours, right? Right. Of, uh, yeah. So, um, so anyway, two hours into the flight, we're we're up we're up at flight levels. Everything's good. There's nothing. There there are no concerns. That one of the big concerns with me was the temperature at night up at flight levels. And for whatever reason, I didn't get cold. Bruce didn't get cold. It was very comfortable. And it was like almost eerily uh, comfortable because I've had situations where it just, when the sun goes down, it just gets unbearably cold. Right. You know, where you, you're literally, you just cannot stop shivering. And that was, that was one of the reasons I want to fly at this time to see how that would, how my body would react and how things would were to work out in the, in the in the temperature arena. And um, but you are you are wearing. I saw a photograph of the, these sort of down bunny suits or something, right? Yeah, they're they're expedition suits. The the one that I was wearing was actually up on K two. So the uh, you know the guys are they're climbing these eight thousand meter peaks are wearing these type of suits. So that they're both um, mountain hardware suits. And and some people um, asked me about the electric the clothing and stuff like that. First of all, there's such a big draw on that. And secondly, if something happens, it's, let's say you're wearing a light layer and, and depending on, upon like some electrical, you know, vest or something, if that thing fails, it's, you know, it's game over. over. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I don't want to have to rely on that. Um, the downside about the red suits is if, if you end up low and into a, like a thermal situation, which has happened to me, it's just, you're just, Sauna. you're just baking. Yeah. yeah. And you, you, dehydration you, becomes. You mentioned the fatigue issues. What did you guys do? Take turns cat napping or do anything like that? What did you do? No, um, I didn't. I didn't sleep at all on this one. I, what I tried to do, um, um, what I what I tried to do was kind of close my eyes and let Bruce for a little. I left the vario volume up so I can hear. So kind of subconsciously you're hearing that beep beep beep, yeah. you know, and you know, and, and so I was. You know, I didn't go into a REM, you know, but you kind of close your eyes. And I mean, just through all my years of flying at FedEx and and uh, military flying, you kind of learn to adapt and you, you kind of learn to to recharge a little bit, how to recharge. And it's amazing what even five, 10 minutes will do. It, it gives you something. It's, uh, it's obviously not a, it's not a fix all, but it will it will keep you going, you mm -hmm. know. Um, and I did that at one point for probably five minutes and it. You know, it, it did help, I think. But, you know, then I went through like three other lulls where you're just like, whoa, man, I'm, I'm tired, you know. But luckily I was up high where you really need that brain energy is at the end of the flight. And like, you know, in, in our case, the last two hours was just like, you know, I mean, you're doing you're, you're flying, you're trying to do mental calculation, right. talking to air traffic control. You're looking at why they're going, uh oh, there's weather, you know. So talk to me about some of the milestones in this flight. So, you know, obviously a thousand K, 2000 K, your goal is 2,500. You know, you're making it, you're getting closer. Talk to me about how you are with your co-pilot. You're at, at what point did you think, geez, we're going to make more than 2,500. How did that all work out? So the milestones were, you know, I, I, I figured, you know, a thousand K would, 
would pretty much, I mean, I don't want to make this sound easier. I don't want to sound cocky, but it, it seemed like, okay, we got this in the bag, you know, the thousand K. Um, Cause I got, once you get, I got down into the Owens Valley, um, then you're pretty assured of being in pretty good wave, you know, and it, it, it usually tends to work fairly well unless you push too hard and you get low and then you get, if you get low in Owens Valley, you get in big trouble. But um, I made my turn point near in your current on the first leg and then uh, on the northbound leg. So leg two, I was northbound. I finally was able to talk to Joshua. And um, once I was northbound on that, I said, okay, well, we should be able to get back to Minden and, you know, and then go beyond that then go beyond that to some point. So I knew, I think a thousand kilometers was not the issue. And then I was like, okay, you know, maybe if we get 1500, you know, that'd be nice because remember the forecast was for the wave to shut down near Minden at mm-hmm. like 2 PM. So I, I had zero, zero plan of going 3000 kilometers. You know, I thought 2,500 was kind of a stretch. And what's your average speed at, at the, you know, through this flight? Uh, we're probably a hundred 110 miles an hour or so okay yeah so you, know, you kind of do the math still you gotta you gotta keep moving you know and um the big concern with me was we're very limited in the sierra wave let's just call it the sierra wave right um but this this north south routing we're pretty much limited to annual current being our southern turn point and and Susanville, north of Reno. I'm just going to mention here for a second. So any listeners who want to look at these legs that you're describing, they can go to the OLC or to We Glide, and all the info is right there to follow through on what you're talking about. Correct. So um, we're, we're kind of limited north and south, you know, basically due to the geography of what we're given here. And, and to the north, you know, the, the mountains shut, you know, or quit and uh, to the south, the mountains shut down also. So you're roughly, I don't know, it's maybe 600 kilometers north and south or kind of your limits on your run. So that limits you for a, like a 3000 kilometer three turn point um, flight, you know, unless you unless you go downwind east of the Rockies, then then that's possible. Um, and that's what I'll be probably going for in the future but um the uh you know when i was going northbound the forecast was for it to weaken the wave to weaken north arena just north of reno and that really limited my north south distances are you you getting live weather at this time or just the latest forecast that you uploaded into the flight computer well, I'm relying on SkySight right now. But live? Um, live in real time? Um, well, I, I was able to do a couple of updates uh, on the SkySight. I had Bruce try to reload it, you know, if we got reception, get mm-hmm. the updated SkySight weather, which he was able to do a couple times. What I, <laughs> but what I had done was I had downloaded the um, the link that Matthew Scudder had sent me for the for the nighttime run, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that ran for... Uh, the night and the whole day. So I downloaded that and had my, my, uh, sky side and airplane mode. So I was not getting updates, um, on mine. And, um, anyway, that, so my, the updates I got really didn't differ from what the sky site models that I had that had not been updated. Um, the updated sky models didn't change all that much throughout the day. So, um, so I was mostly looking at sky side. Now the, the, 
forecast weather for where we actually landed, I was using ForeFlight and a Stratus ADS-B uh, to look at the current weather up there. That was that was on the very last leg. Right, you to know. know you could make it into that final air, airport safely, yeah. know what the winds right. are, all that stuff. Right, exactly. So, um, so, yeah, so the I would say the north and south runs were pretty straightforward. There weren't any really low points. The one thing that I, I kept commenting about to Bruce during the flight, I said, this wave is far from classic. And and I would say on a scale of one to 10, it was probably a five huh. on, in the strength level. And the only markers that we had were down down uh, on the first leg in the Owens Valley, a couple rotor and then a you know, a, a lenticular that was maybe 20 miles long, but that was, that was the only, that was the only form of markers we had the entire wow. day. So now, at, at, at what point did you, did you guys start to switch gears from going, okay, we're going to make two, we've got 25. Yep. Wow. We can go further or what, t- tell me about what you're thinking. You're exhausted, but you're talking to each other and did you get more keyed up and what, what yeah, you, you do. And I think that's what kept the, uh, the, kind of our fatigue at bay and I mean fatigue's still there but um you you mentally start getting kind of wound up for the so-called battle right where you're just like going oh my god I this can possibly happen um so it was on the very very last leg because our north and south runs were so were probably 30 miles shorter on each leg and I, I realized <clears throat> I that we had to stretch that final leg way up north of Susanville into where the forecast was going to be overcast and just, you know, just crappy weather mm-hmm. um, with mm-hmm. no waves. So I, I, I thought, okay, on this north leg, we on our very final leg, which are, which is our sixth leg, right? Um, we we're down near uh, Bishop, and I said, I said, I think famous wave maybe, site, yeah. We we can maybe do this. And uh, it was one of those. Okay, let's 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 not count on it because the the weather north of Susanville is supposed to be garbage. So I said, let let's just get to Reno, and because remember the forecast was supposed everything was supposed to die out up in Minden at two o'clock. We're on I don't know probably four o'clock at this time, and and things are still we're still not in the Minden back in the Minden area. So we <laughs> kind of worked our way back in the valley, and I was like, God, it's just really spotty very spotty wave. I mean, I normally would not even fly under these type of conditions because for Minden and Sierra wave standards, it was, it was garbage and it really was not that good. So we get back into the Carson Valley overhead Minden. I'm in a small climb and I, I went, Hmm, if we do that, if we, if we push, if we, if we can get as high as we can up near Reno, then we can maybe make final glide up to, we keep and we both, you know, back each other up about 10 times on how far we needed to go. And we both agreed that Alturas or Cedarville or, you know, Klamath Falls, uh, you know, Klamath was too much in the wind. That was not practical. Um, but one of those area, one of those airports up there is what we had to get to achieve this 3000 kilometer flight. The big issue was like the weather up there, right? Cause you could visually see that north of just north of Susanville, there was a whole undercast of solid cloud layer. So what? So what altitude are you at? You're looking north, and you know you have to get underneath that to make where you want to go. Correct. So, so I'm northwest, just northwest of Reno. I pick up a very small 
just a really small area wave. And I'm going up maybe two knots, three knots. And uh, the winds are pretty strong in the north um, area here, up in the Reno area. And so I was, I called center and I, I go, hey, they initially they give me a lower block of altitude. And I go, well, if we keep this lower block, there's no way we're going to make it. So I, I actually called center. I said, hey, if we, if you can coordinate with Oakland Center to get a higher block, we can, we can probably uh, achieve the longest soaring flight in history. This is actually this <laughs> on the radio. And because, uh, you know, it was just this thing of desperation. I go, well, you know, there's no reason why they can't grant us a higher block, you know. And I wanted them to make sure that they understood they knew that they understood this was a big deal now. It's turned into a big deal from, you know, not too much of an issue to like, oh, my God, this might be a, you know, yeah, yeah. A, a historic thing that, it, in my view, they're they're a part of, you know, it's a team effort. So. The guy says, stand by, you know, this is NorCal I'm talking to. He goes, stand by. And then finally he, um, he says, uh, yeah, uh, Oakland's given you a, a block up to flight level 230. And I think I asked for even higher, which they gave me. And uh, so I sat northwest Reno, stationary, zero ground speed over the ground. And I got as high as I could possibly, as high as they would allow me, you know. <laughs> and, um, and I looked at my computer and... Uh, like, well, we still still don't really have Alturas made, you know, but if we can continue with a zero sync type or, you know, minimal sync rate type situation, we could probably get up to making glide, you know. So I told Bruce, I said, see that big layer of undercast that's, you know, it's, it's hard to tell how far out that is. You want it to be as far north as possible, right? So you don't have to pull the boards out and descend below it. And now you're below glide for Alturas. Um, but I said, Bruce, here's the plan. I'm going to, we're going to start aiming right for Alturas. And, you know, the winds are strong enough to where, you know, Alturas is, it says it's actually off your right, but you're only, you know, because of the winds pushing you so much, you're, you're heading, you know, I don't know, three, four, zero and you're tracking, you're tracking zero, two, zero or something. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of a, it's something you really, uh, it takes a lot of getting used to is drift angle and, and big winds like that when you're flying a sailplane at 60 or 70 knots. So, um, so anyway, we should just set out on this final glide and I called center. I said, Hey, I'd like to change my destination to El Turis. So they put that in the system because I had Susanville in there. And so, uh, I started heading for this huge undercast off in the distance. And, you know, I, I, I was, I was pretty happy with, I think, where I would end up near that clouds. And sure enough, I, I got to the edge of the clouds. And, um, I'm, and I'm going to interrupt for a second. What is your flight computer telling you and how many K you've got to go to make 3,000? So is it is it on the edge or do you – is it in the bag? Where? Oh, no, that? no. It's, 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 no, it's not in the bag. I had um, – what was it, like 200 kilometers or something? I think I was sitting at like roughly 2,800 kilometers from where I left that way. <laughs> so it's close, but still very far. Yeah. And the, the big thing was the weather. It's like, do I have to pull my boards out and descend, you know, descend, you know, circle to get below these clouds? Because I didn't want to, I wasn't about to go flying through the clouds because, you know, there was a bunch of layers, you know, mm -hmm. of clouds. And it was, you know, it's mountainous terrain up there. So. I said, Bruce, we're going to get to the edge of the clouds. Hopefully, we don't have to pull the spoilers. We can just slide underneath. And luckily, 
that's exactly how it worked out. I mean, I had to shove the nose over a little bit, but we snuck right on underneath the ledge of the clouds on the south end, south line of those clouds wow. and uh, ducked underneath. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> now this is, uh, now we're dodging snow showers, you know, going left and right and trying to keep the wings out of the snow. And is there and, any lift uh, underneath, underneath this no, layer? No, no. It's, uh, it's just kind of stratified, a lot of debris hanging out underneath. And so we were kind of shucking and jiving. Well, you want to go straight line to your destination, you know? Cause what, what are you at, 18,000 or something? No, we were below 18 because I canceled. Um, I think I was maybe at 16 or something okay. like that. So there was a lot of cloud that was going, you know, there was a lot of cloud cover below me to the left, to the right, you know, so I was kind of flying through this channel, you know, in between these snow showers and trying to get a straight line to Alturas. But I could see, you know, once I got into the clearing a little bit, I could see off in the distance, there was a little bit of sun hitting the ground. I went, oh, okay. <laughs> At least we got a hole somewhere. But <clears throat> I was finally able to get into a kind of a direct line to, uh, uh, towards Alturas, but as I started getting up there, you know, it, it initially cleared up over this valley and it was, it was nice. But then we got, I think we had 60 kilometers to go to Alturas. And, and, and you're um, looking at the last half hour, 45 minutes of your flight at this point, right? Yep. Yep. I get into this big U-shaped area surrounding me that was just nothing but clouds snow showers going all the way to the ground and i was just just kind of in this boxed area and i go i can't believe this you know we had like 50 something kilometers to go to and you can see it on the trace where i made a kind of a quick u-turn and started going east but i i got to this i got to the end of the road essentially i couldn't go any further it was it was cloud going down to the down to the ground it was you know mountainous area and i had 60 kilometers going the olc the olc uh distance on the lx said 2988 kilometers <laughs> i will never forget 12k that. yeah 12k to get 3000 kilometers i couldn't go a mile further because i would have been imc getting you know iced up and everything else and and i went oh my god this is we're done in and out so so Altura, so I, I did a 180 through Cedarville on the computer really quick. That was actually on page two. So I went over to page two on the, I think, Waypoint page through Cedarville. And it says, nope, you don't have a mate. No way in hell. And by the way, you got your 3,000 feet below the terrain or whatever to get there because there was a big line of mountains right in the way between me and Cedarville. Inconvenient. So, yeah. so I, I picked up an eastbound track over over this big plateau in the south south end of the range plus it was totally clouded in to the left of me and i just i just slowed up big time went in a max conserve mode and i'm going you know and so there's no there's no computer calculation to anything right now you know um so i'm kind of having to eyeball this to try to get over the ridge on the lee side of this range you know i'm floating along over this plateau just going whoa this is going to be tight and, you know, and in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I might have to pull the jet out. Yep. Which is game over. Yeah. Um, so I kept floating along and, and I, I would get up underneath these little tiny, really ragged, like wisps and stuff. And, you know, zero sink, maybe one knot up. And then, and so luckily I didn't hit any strong sink. Otherwise I never would have made it over that plateau. There was a, a like a ranch or something. <laughs> that I could have, if the motor wouldn't have started it, I could have put it in, but it wouldn't have been pretty, you know? So 
I floated along eastbound at just a really slow conserving, you know, speed. And I just wanted to get on the lee side of that plateau. So I was in the Cedar, let's just call it the Cedarville Valley, you know, because then there were some ranches and, you know, a, a dry lake that wasn't dry. It was, it would have been in a real ugly retreat. But um, so once I got closer towards the edge of that, I realized, I think I'm going to make it over the, over the rim of this thing. And uh, I was able to make out some, what I thought were cumulus clouds over the valley, east of the, east of the, the ridge here, maybe five miles or so. But it looked, you know, it looked like I'd be really low when I got there. So I, uh, sure enough, I cleared the terrain and I pushed out towards these clouds. And once, once I got into the valley, I could look north up the valley and I realized that they were rotor cue. There was huh. just a, like a line of cue and there was a really ragged looking type wave, really weak looking stuff on top of this rotor cue. So I dove for it, circled thermal underneath this thing. And then as soon as I did like three or four turns, you know, I was going up and all those, and each one of those turns I go, I'm going to, I'm going to get this. I'm going to make this and uh, circled up and then pushed out just to and the meanwhile, west. It's edge. like 17, 16 hours into this flight. You're exhausted, but the adrenaline's going oh, and insane. you're like yeah. just going, oh, 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 right. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, the, the computer still was showing uh, initially when, before I got to this, this rotor cues, you know, I, I did not have Cedarville made. So I'm going, you know, now I got to deal with content with starting the motor. And if that didn't start, you know, right. looking for First a ranch or yeah. farm field. So, um, I circled underneath this thing and I was just, I was just so focused, you know, it was incredible how, you know, how focused you get. Cause it's, this is everything, you yeah. know, and yeah. by the way, when don't, you don't doing, want to screw this up by not getting the thermal yeah. or centering it the way yeah. you're supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, you're, you're doing this in front of an audience of 10,000 people and you just want to be everything to be perfect. So I, I was so focused, but it, an interesting note, when I was making that East track from basically South of Alturas to the Cedarville Valley there, when I was running East, the computer and the old sea distance said probably for 20 miles that I did that said 2,988 kilometers. I was not gaining a kilometer at all <laughs> over this track, you know, and I was yeah, just, yeah. it was, it was just killing me. I go, this is insane. I have to, I have to go north. Um, so anyway, I circled up underneath this this rotor cue and then pushed out in front of it, and it went laminar, and it went two knots. And I, computer says you got Cedarville made, and I go, we just, we just. Oh man, the smile. This must have been from oh, ear okay. to ear. Oh yeah, Bruce got video, and we're just screaming in the cockpit. And I go, we've got this. We got it made. Oh, fantastic. We've got three thousand kilometers in a bag. And then I watched the the OLC distance started ticking up, and all of a sudden, boom, three thousand kilometers. Oh. oh my God! Wow. Now we're back up to twelve thousand feet, and we went ran north of, shot over Cedarville, and then everything got kind of got started closing in with the clouds, and so I went as far north as I could because there was an airport called Lakeview that had a really wide runway because Cedarville was very narrow, and I'd, I'd never flown in there. I didn't know what it was like to land there. Um, and what, what's your span on this one? I sorry, I can't remember. The, it's or, twenty meters. It's twenty meters. Twenty meters. Okay, yeah. So Bruce looks at the the airport facility directory on four flight. Goes, oh, dude, I think it was forty feet wide or something, or fifty feet. So narrow runway with lights, right? And I go, oh god. So so we ran as far north as we could to see if we can get in Lakeview. But we got where you see me turn back south to the airport. That's we just got completely squeezed by weather. And then was once again, it was like 
rain and snow going all the way to the ground and, you know, just got surrounded by cloud cover again. So, so. now you're in survival mode as in, I want to get safely back on the ground. Yeah. So it's like, okay, we're, we're, we're done. We're done. You know, this, we're, we are done. I mean, yeah, there's nothing know, else to do except get yeah, safely back on the ground. We, we maxed out our mileage. So it's like, okay, so that that's done. We got 3058 and we're going back to Cedarville, you know, rattle legs. And we went, I don't know what it was, another 10 kilometers back down to Cedarville. And, and just, we just did these, just, I just circled over the field and we're, I'm just blown away going, I cannot <laughs> believe this, you know, something totally unexpected. And, and I said, all right, here's the deal. We're going to, I'm going to, you know, so we'll see if the motor starts. We had, um, 17.2 gallons left of gas. So we theoretically could have motored all the way back to Alturas or something, but there was, you know, it's, there was weather everywhere. You couldn't, yeah, it didn't have, feel right. That. Yeah. So I go, we're, we're just, we're going to get this thing on the ground. And I said, Bruce, I'm going to start the motor here at a couple thousand feet or whatever. And we'll, in case we need to go around. And, uh, if you see anything, you know, we're, you know, that, that warrants us go, going around, we'll go around. Just, just tell me, you know, cause I'm sitting in the back seat. It's a little hard to see. So, um, we landed on a dead calm runway uphill slope and rolled out and, you know, I put the wing down on the pavement and we just taxied with the motor up to the you know, taxi line and <laughs> got it down and, we're just, just, it's mind boggling. That yeah, was pretty cool. Wow. So, um, you, you must've sat there for a second with, with your co-pilot yeah. and just going, wow. Just, yeah. just, I imagine it must've taken hours for it to actually sink in. I mean, you understand, yeah. but you right. don't understand. Right. Right. You know, and this, you know, what's funny is, you know, Bruce, um, he is, this is like his, I think fifth flight in the glider, you know, he's, he doesn't even have, his, doesn't even have the glider rating, you know? So he's, <laughs> he was a triple seven guy with me at FedEx and you know, <laughs> the way this whole partnership came up, I think we were flying a, um, you know, it was a four man crew. So we had a long flight. So, um, I don't know, we, I think it came up on a flight to Dubai or something, but, um, I said, Hey, you interested in becoming a partner. And I mentioned the, the Arcus chat when it was for sale and he's, he, said wow that sounds like a pretty neat thing but i think this is this was like his fifth flight in the glider and i think this what an flight, awesome fifth oh, flight my god yeah, yeah. the second yeah. flight we did a you know a thousand kilometer thermal flight and then you know uh, like a month ago we did a two thousand kilometer wave flight and you know here here he's on his fourth or fifth flight and he gets a three thousand kilometer flight. so he's he's I hope he's not spoiled. I admit, Bruce, this doesn't happen every day, you know. Well, what a, what an amazing flight! Congratulations again yeah, on this. Now, what what records, if any, are you able to claim with this? Zero, because Zero. it's no. not recognized because it's night flying. Correct. Yeah, and, but still, um, it, it, regardless well, it, of that, for me, it doesn't it doesn't matter to me? It's just uh, you know, I mean, for me, it's all about. Um, it's all about the fun, and you know, at the end of the day, who cares where you got a plaque on the wall? Sure, know? but it's still. But is this now the longest glider flight ever? Or yes, uh -huh. wow, yeah, because yeah. the uh, so Klaus Ullmann did a he did a three down in Argentina twenty years ago. He did a three right, turn point right. three thousand eight kilometer flight. So uh, the thing that invalidates this are two things: it was more than three turn points, and the fact that it happened at night. So right. the FAI the FAI does not re recognize. Sure. Lighter flights at night. Anyway, regardless, it's an amazing right. achievement, right? Yeah, very, very cool. cool. So, um, so yeah, I mean, people ask what's what's next, and you know, oh, I mean, that's I, my, that's my last question. <laughs> exactly, um, what's next? So, I, I, 
I'd like to do some other things too. You know, I'm, uh, my, my, I think my ultimate goal would be a, a super long downwind flight and like a two day event in wave, you know, where you go launch out of here, you end up on the east side of the Rockies, you climb up at six, eight in the morning, and then you, you go downwind for 300 miles on a glide and then use thermals to see how far you can go. What you, you know, got to do is start up here in Canada. I know. Then I know. I, 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 I've been looking at the wave up there. I, I see it all the time. Yeah, I, I, I'll put you in touch with the right people who do this all the time and get remarkable flights up here. And that's, uh, yeah, work your way yep. all the way down the east side of the Rockies. And yep. yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, so I think that the boundaries, you know, there really aren't any more boundaries because, you know, now with the night vision stuff, we can, you know, I can safely do this at night. Um, and so, you know, we're not really limited by, by the hours anymore. It's, it's more of the geography where you're limited by. And I think Argentina has the, the advantage in, in that they could run further north and south and, and wave than, than we can here. Mm -hmm. In other words, longer three turn point tasks. But um, I think a, a 3,000 kilometer uh, three turn point is possible here you, where you do your third leg. Your last leg is going downwind. You'd have to end up uh, east of the Rockies just a bit um, to do that. Right. And definitely safer doing it with two pilots because at least at least you can get a little yeah. bit of rest because I can't imagine 17 hours straight, the concentration, exhaustion. Oh. It doesn't, it's not safe. Well, that's why we don't have these records anymore because it's just not safe, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, if we can make the FAI realize that these things can be done safely, you know, even in the evening hours, I don't, you know, it, it's... It, I think it's it's really sad that we're limited by that rule, you know, for a world record. You know, if 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 anyone cares about a world record, you know, I mean, for me, it's well, it's not just about the world <laughs> records; it's what you yeah. can do with an aircraft, all sorts of exactly. things. Exactly. So, yeah, and that's the bottom line with me is is uh, kind of just opening those new, uh, just not being bound by by the limits of a, a regulation. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, as long as I'm doing it legally and safely, and and I feel. Um, I feel yeah. good about what I'm doing, then then that's yeah. it. You know, yeah. if I can share these flights, I think it's I think it's pretty cool because it's uh, well, it's very um, it's very cool, and and you've shared this in great detail with us, and uh, I got to say thank you very much for just taking the time and just I felt like I was in the cockpit for a while there. Yeah, well, thanks, Harry. I appreciate the the time, and uh, thank you for doing what you're doing with uh, these podcasts and kind of sharing the whole word about uh, you know this wonderful sport that we have you know so well there are going to be many eager listeners i'm going to dr drop this out in the next day or two and uh okay. so thanks again gordon real pleasure meeting you over the uh airwaves and uh take care fly safe and looking forward to hearing about your next adventure thank you sir appreciate it okay bye -bye. take care bye bye. Right, thanks. bye gordon betker spoke to me from his home in minden nevada That's it for episode number 42 of The Thermal. I will be back again later this summer with another show. That said, priorities are priorities, and I'm having a lot of fun flying my syndicate-owned ASH-31MI along the Canadian Rockies and the Columbia Valley. Spectacular doesn't even begin to describe the majestic beauty of this part of Canada. So the next show, sometime in August, probably in a couple days when it's raining. Thanks for all of the positive feedback. Please let your gliding pals know about the podcast. It's a labor of love. I don't make a cent. 
finally, if you have any good interview ideas, please let me know. I can be reached at the Thermal Podcast, all one word at gmail.com. That's the Thermal Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for centering the Thermal Podcast. See you next time. I'm Harry Tenkate. Fly safe. <laughs>